We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes, the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We are here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Oh, Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. It's damn glad to see you here. Damn, damn glad to see you here too. I mean, we came in the same car, but yeah. We, we but are, we, but I but I I like that. Uh, I like that we're all I here s- together. That's well, nice. It, it's better when I see you on stage. Yeah. 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 yeah we this can't argue the best, too much then. The best version of you. You can't argue back with me too terribly much because we got to keep the show going. Right. But it's 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 been wonderful. I mean, we're coming at you from. Fargo Brewing Company. Oh yeah, I was like uh, the hall. I mean, the car. What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so we We're are back at to show talk. we are at the at the hall at Fargo Brewing Company. We could not be more excited to be here. Uh, I I love being here. It is uh, it's super cool. We get great beer. They're amazing to work with, and uh, you know, a huge shout out to Jade Presents as well. It's uh, it's it's a, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and to Antonio, our sound guy. Yeah, absolutely. A big thanks to all of you here in the audience and, and those, those listening. Uh, we could not do this without you, not even a little bit. And, and we, couldn't, we couldn't be more grateful. And, and what we are also grateful for are all of the amazing reviews we get, whether they are good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever, it's fine. And, and we, we really appreciate them because when you review Midwest Murder, it, it does great things for, for our podcast and it, it really matters and it, it helps us move or helps move us to the next level. We just like, we like bringing you, bringing you this stuff. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's fun to hear that stuff every once in a while. And this one is five stars comes from Sundog 605. Can't wait to listen live. So podcasts and true crime things are not really my thing, but more my wife's. When I saw that Midwest Murder was going to be live at Severance Brewing, I asked my wife if she had heard of the podcast and if she wanted to go. To prepare myself, I started listening, and now I'm hooked. I love the details that are shared. I've told so many of my friends about the podcast. Now that both my wife and I are listening, we find ourselves talking about it each day. We have our tickets for Severance Brewing and can't wait to see you guys live. Awesome. So that we were there last night. So uh, evidently that person was in the crowd. And yeah, again, yeah. always really exciting to hear that. That was a great thank crowd you. last night too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, good uh, crowd in Sioux Falls. And I, I also have to, to, to point out in that, um, I asked my, or uh, when he says that things are not really my, or the true crime is not really my thing, but more my wife's. I, I feel like um, every dude in every audience is like, uh-huh. Yeah. I know what, I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely loved. Five stars from Pooh Bear 616. Thank you for doing this podcast. I was born and raised in North Dakota and find all this information so interesting. I recently found your podcast and binge listened all the episodes. Your voices are so easy, easy to listen to and the interaction between you two is great. Please keep up the great work and make more episodes faster. I hope to catch you live sometime. That would be so fun. That would be fun. We, we, hope, yeah. you, uh, we hope you can as well. I like when I like when people comment on on our interaction. I mean, maybe maybe not after um, two days of talking to each other. It's it's maybe not as great, but we'll see. 
Yeah, so, good. Hey, it means a lot when people does, take a little yeah. minute out of their busy life to shoot us a review, and I, I think it helps inform people of, of what we do. So Absolutely. It's great. Yeah, we're all busy, and, and we appreciate your time. So this episode is brought to you by Midwest Memoirs. The stories of your family deserve to be heard. Midwest Memoirs captures your living generation's stories, jokes, and even tall tales. Because the most important story you'll ever hear is the story of your family. We've done it with our families and think it's something every family deserves. And keeping in mind that every family dynamic is different, we sit down with the voice you never want to forget, which isn't ours, by the way. We interview our guest who is your family member or even you for a professionally recorded conversation so the family of your story, so the story of your family is never forgotten long after they're gone. You can find that on Midwest Memoirs at Facebook and Instagram. You can also buy us a hot dish now at buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. A really big shout out to our members who continue to support us. And, you know, you you might not think that that dollar, that $3, that $5 um, helps, but it, it really, truly does. And it, it helps us bring you to places like Fargo Brewing, Severance Brewing, and it helps with case files, all of those things. So yeah. we really, we really, really do appreciate it. Yeah. That little five bucks adds up, get three, four of those. You can make a pretty damn fine hot dish. I think so. Yeah. But just do not, do not put cream of anything soup in my hot dish. I'm How do you make, make hot make, dish without it? That's I, a whole other story altogether. Nope. I make, I make my own. Just don't give me a canned version. I'm sorry. Just maybe, maybe too much of a 90 kid. That's uh, I just can't do it. So Speaking of 90s kids, this uh, this year is for you guys and myself. Go to 1991 today. I, I think I say this every year that I remember, you know, like, we, you know, starting like 89, 88, maybe, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's the coolest year ever. So every time I do this, you think it's, it's the uh, coolest year. I, ever. I do. I do. I'm like, I remember that. Everything was cooler back then. I, I think so. I, our kids have no idea. Now I sound like an old person when I say it's that. official. I do. I do. It was official before. But anyway, 1991, Eileen Warnos confessed to the murders of six men. And she's probably one of the most recognized female, female serial killers. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, the, the Shirley's Theron film, right? Yeah. Monster. Yep. Yeah. That yep. really helped it. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested. I, I feel like I do not need to explain what he did because we've all seen the Netflix thing. I think last time... Last time I was here, I was very, very salty that I had not finished it yet or I had not watched it. Like the only person here who hadn't seen it so none of us could talk about it kind of ruined the show. Yep. Yep. And I'll I'll have you all know that I have watched it. I finished it myself. Yeah. Every bit of disgusting as I expected. Uh, Mike Tyson was arrested and charged for the rape of Desiree Washington. She was she was a candidate for uh, Miss Black America. And that was a that was a big, big deal. And I remember um, and I think the, the reason I hate Chris Collinsworth so so much, so much is, is the comments he made about Mike Tyson because of, because of that. If you guys want to talk about it after, let me know. Also in 1991, Operation Desert Storm kicked off the Gulf War with the first airstrikes. The Cold War officially ended after going for over 40 years. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of 1991. The Adventures of Pete and Pete, Salute Your Shorts, Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy debuted on Nickelodeon. Yes. Yeah. I just... Just flashbacks of my childhood right there. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And the parents on Rugrats uh, during that time, uh, they're younger than I am now. Uh, (laughs) Honestly, I really have to sit sit with that for a while. Well, because they looked really haggard. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Which which really makes me need to, to, like, makes me want to reflect a little bit. Like, do I I look like? Yeah. Anyway, my, uh, 
I struggle. I make this about me all the time. I'm like, well, my favorite, but I'm going to keep going. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, my favorite Disney film was released. And it was also, I believe, like the 30th or uh, something like that. I can't remember exactly, but that really is neither here nor there. But that was released that year. The Dow Jones closed over 3,000 for the first time ever. J.C. Lee Dugard was kidnapped and then uh, found 18 years later. Sonic the Hedgehog was released on Sega. And if someone has one that they want to sell for $14, please let me know. And uh, <laughs> it's freaking love that man. And I would, I would play you for that game. Anyway, Clarence Thomas was confirmed on the Supreme Court after former aide Anita Hill testified against his sexual harassment. Magic Johnson announced to the world that he was HIV positive, while Queen frontman Freddie Mercury died from complications of AIDS. Only just one day after announcing that he, that he had contracted it. Chilling. Yeah. In sports news, the Giants defeat the Bills 20-19 in Super Bowl 35, and it's XX, XXV, which I could actually do that one in my head. I was like, yes, I don't have to Google that. Uh, it's, it's an easy Roman numeral. Uh, I will not make a joke about the Bills' history in the Super Bowl because it's in poor taste right now. Um, but and the, they're favorites this year, they, mm-hmm. among the favorites. Yeah. In hockey, the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Minnesota North Stars, my favorite team in the entire world, in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup, giving them their first win in franchise history. The, the Penguins. And I know I've said this before, but nobody has taken me up on it. If anybody wants to discuss my plan to take over the world and buy the Minnesota or the Dallas Stars to make them Minnesota North Stars, let me know. I would I would love to discuss that. Uh, and the twins, twins beat the Braves in the World Series. We're looking at you, Kirby Puckett. That was all it was all him. So well, not all him, but, you know, it's a big deal. So kind of some some sports things. So we will be visiting Wisconsin today. And for those of you not in Wisconsin, they are far more lovely than just their delicious cheese. And yes, happy cows come from California, I'm sure. But I think I'd make the argument that happier cows come from Wisconsin because their cheese curds are squeaky. (laughs) And raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Like when you... No idea, but it sounds funny. Man, I don't need to be clued in now. I'm going to. I'm going to tell you because someone listening might not know. You're right. The the cheese curds, when you bite into them, like they they squeak, like your teeth squeak, like like the contact, something makes them squeak. I'm sure there's something scientific about it. But like a like a dog squeaky toy. Not quite. Not quite. Like not quite. But just squeeze a cheese curd and I'm getting that. Let me just let me just tell you that 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 is scientific proof for me that happier cows come from Wisconsin. Okay. That's, that's all I need. So when a person disappears or even vanishes, the disappearance raises an infinite number of questions, many of which may or may not be answered. When five members of a family disappear with little more than a trace, there are possibly even less answers. The eight, you got. Uh, that, no, that's just a really oh. chilling intro. Sorry. I mean, I was shivering over here. Yeah. The aging community of Cushing, Wisconsin, which borders Minnesota, not the state, it's on the border, it's near the border, can be considered remote as uh, it's an unincorporated town. And for not even being considered a town, it still has a population of almost 700 today. And to live there, the residents in the small community in Polk County just have to enjoy the remoteness. You know, it's in, you know, less of the, the, the amenities that would come with, you know, being a municipality. Like AM radio exclusive sure, type of yeah, territory. Yeah. The Bernizer family was likely no different, but perhaps enjoyed a little more isolation than most since they lived five miles northwest of Cushing proper. Their mobile home is located in what the locals call the Barrens, and I probably don't have to explain that that's not a play on words, and it's, you know, it's actual literal. It is, I mean, you're five miles from nowhere, basically. 
Rick Bernizer, who was 35, was an independent fencing contractor. His former employer described him as, quote, he wasn't going to be beholden to anyone, but if you did him a favor, he'd return it. I guess you could say he was, as I like to call it, kind of stuck together. I, I don't think many people would really mess with him or, or cause you know many problems with him. I, I think he, he commanded a presence. And also residing in the mobile home was his live-in longtime girlfriend, 31-year-old Ruth Berenson, Rick's 15-year-old son, Bruce, Ruth's two daughters from a previous marriage, her 10-year-old daughter, Heidi Berenson, and her 7-year-old daughter, Mindy Berenson, and Rick's and Ruth's daughter together, 5-year-old Crystal. So they'd been, they'd been together for a while. On April 23, 1991, 15-year-old Bruce Bernizer contacted the Polk County Sheriff's Department and reported his dad, his dad's girlfriend, her two daughters, and his half-sister missing. He hadn't seen them since the day before. Bernizer told law enforcement that his family went to Minneapolis, which in Midwest language is only about an hour and 20 minutes from, from Cushing. I could not tell you what that would be in miles. I have no idea. I looked, I, I looked totally it up irrelevant. On, I looked it up on Google Maps. And, we got the time. And, yeah, yeah, and I was, I was like, I, and I was reading through this again. I was like, hmm, what is the mileage? Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It's an hour and 20 minutes. We know. So the, uh, according to Bruce, the five of them piled into their dark green 1980 Oldsmobile station wagon, or as Clark Griswold called it, the family truckster. Thank you guys. Like, that's not my <laughs> joke, but I'm just so glad that somebody recognized that because it's the family truckster, you know? Supposedly, they were going to Minneapolis for building materials. What they were building, he didn't say. Law enforcement arrived at the Bernizer family mobile home and didn't notice much out of place. Unfortunately, it was also difficult to tell. And, and we've, we've all been to a home that can be described as, quote, lived in, this mobile home would appear a bit more than lived in. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was dirty or a hoarding situation, just a, a lot of stuff without specific storage. What do you, you, know? you have five people in a mobile home or was it six? It was uh, six. Six people yeah. in, in a yeah. mobile home. Even yeah. if you're doing a pretty fine job of organization, it's just going to be cluttered. Yeah. It's, it's shit gets cluttered. Shit gets cluttered. There's, and, there's stuff on yeah. counters, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean it's a mess. You just, you had supper, you made something it's out on the counters. Yeah. It, it, it was more than just stuff on counters. I mean, it was, right. you know, like looking like ashtrays. Yeah. Like, and like I'm, and I am, I am not passing judgment. Dog I mean, vomit in the corner. Like how deep we going? No, like, well, like I said, it wasn't dirty. It was just, things didn't have a place. Right. And so, sure. you know, as when I was researching this case, I was looking at the, the uh, police video and, and, or the media video and, and, um, or that was released to the media eventually. And, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff sure. in there, you know, and, not and a lot of open counter space, not I a imagine. lot of floor space, not a lot of counter okay. space, little yep. trails. Yep. yep. And little, I, I little am, seats with little piles around the seats. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, and again, I am not passing judgment because my biggest fear in, in life is actually when, when my house is, you know, also more than lived in that someone murders me and, <laughs> and they have to come investigate. They have to come tear apart my house and, and, and look for clues. Yeah. And, and, and so, I, I truly say this without any judgment because that is someone, please don't murder me at home or ever, but also just, just do it after I've cleaned the house this is all I'm asking. It's, it's yeah. the one thing that TV series almost regularly get wrong about yeah. a lot of average families. There's yes. no damn clutter on any of the counters anywhere in these freaking TV shows. And, and it's it doesn't like, make any sense. Uh, that it's was not a, real. That was a mom of five. Excuse me. Um, no, no, she, that house is messier. Thank you. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's never like a, a, a butter knife with some half used butter, like by the sink, because right. you might have another piece right. of toast. So give me a break. There's a good chance I'm not. 
but I'm not going to dirty that. I'm not going to dirty another knife. I'm not. Yeah, not until the, the end of the day. Universal signal for it doesn't go in until the very end of the day, and then I, I forget, and then I get yelled at the next day. It's fair. It's neither here nor there. Yeah, but right. But anyway, there's there was just a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. So what they did notice was the family's other vehicle, a red 1988 Hyundai, was missing. Bruce didn't have any idea where it was either. So while law enforcement urgently got to work, Bruce went to stay with his mom, Alice, in Minnesota. Okay. Alice Anderson. Yeah. And again, you know, Cushing being right on the on the border um, or close close to the border between the two states, um, it wasn't. It's a 15-year-old Bruce is like, I'm out. I'm going to go with my mom. Well, uh, where the hell else is he going to yeah. go? I mean, you know, law enforcement's going to be like, no, dude, just kick it here. It's fine. I no. mean, no. It's, no, that's a scary situation no. for Bruce. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his, family's, his family is missing. So Sheriff Craig Benware and his team of investigators began digging into the last day the five family members were seen. According to financial records, Rick deposited payment from a fencing job into his account and wrote a check for utility bill. Nothing really seemed out of the ordinary. An uncle of Rick's said, quote, when they left the trailer where they live, they had left the lights on. Not exactly, you know, behavior of maybe people that just would take off, right? Cushing Elementary staff confirmed the children were picked up the day they went missing, April 22nd. Employees at the school described Rick and Ruth as, quote, dutiful parents and said they would be highly unlikely, it would be highly unlikely for them to take the kids out of school without contacting them or at the very least just giving them a warning. Okay. And the, the one daughter, um, the, the 10-year-old, uh, she was described by, by teachers as a, just a little chatterbox, right? So if, if they were going on a trip somewhere, if they this were going somewhere. This is a somewhere, kid that would have told her teacher she, they, about it. She would have okay. said something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I can relate and, to And her. again, Bruce calls in, is casual, doesn't know where they went. This is what they told me. Yeah, I was missing. left here. That's all I know. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. So tips rolled in but still nothing that would shed light on where the family members were. And on April 27th, five days after the alleged disappearance, the family's missing vehicle, the 1988 Hyundai, was spotted on I-35 in Minnesota. Even though it was impounded, it still didn't offer anything. No evidence. Nothing. It's just, it's sitting on the I-35. Yeah. Okay. So two weeks later, tips had come to a near halt. Rumors were exploding, of course, and Polk County Chief Deputy Steve Moe said, quote, we're just stumped. We kept expecting something to develop, but the tips are pretty few and far between. Five people. Five people. Nothing. No, not, not, a, not, a, not a thing. Um, and there weren't any suspects, and law enforcement had even suggested in one of the newspapers and, and you know, in, in press releases and stuff, that the family just simply left, saying that there aren't any laws. He was actually quoted, I'm not, I don't have the exact quote, but he was quoted as saying, you know, there aren't any laws about picking up and leaving. It, it really gets strange sometimes when an adult goes missing without any sign of foul play because nothing illegal has occurred there. There's, there's nothing you can legally say from an investigative standpoint that somebody's in danger. They, they told the one son they're going now they haven't returned, but I, it's, yes, it's bizarre. It's plenty of things to be afraid of, but without being able to see blood violence, a witness that gave you anything, yeah. this is not, nothing illegal has happened. Right. It's a weird, almost gray area for law enforcement sometimes, sometimes. in these situations. Well, and I would also and add, this, I would add to that too, even when, when it's a, when it's a single person being abducted or, or kidnapped or whatever, I think that that's where so much of the, the controversy 
I guess it, it it can be a gray area. I don't think it's a gray area when it's your family member. Yeah, maybe you the know? wrong the, the wrong terminology. Right. Yeah, but but yeah, <clears throat> but, excuse me, a but legal like, gray area when you can't yeah. tell anything yep, violent has happened. Right. an adult is gone. But I think that's where that comes from. Where you, you know, report a missing, where you, where you couldn't, where you couldn't uh, they had to wait twenty four hours to report someone missing. Right, and and right. and so much shit has come up from that as it should. Right, because twenty four hours. I mean, it's that's, a lot that's, of time when somebody's life time. is in danger and they're yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah. But and, going back to your to your point, I mean, yeah, there there are not any laws about that. I I, get, I mean, but any uh, can can you entice me with any of the rumors that were exploding? Or okay, no. okay, yeah. And but also, it kind of and, and them just picking up and leaving. Um, they still had a fifteen year old child at home. I, I mean. Really, guy? I, I, and that I mean, doesn't contrast well with the school's quote that they were dutiful, dutiful parents. Because if, right. if they were, if they were half-assed parents and they left behind a fifteen-year-old that could go with his 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 real yeah. mom, right. it, it would feel different. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, as a as a as a sixteen-year-old child whose mom went out for milk and never came back. Yeah, I I mean, I could attest to that. I you know, it's like it's a weird it's a weird thing. I'm she didn't actually say she was going to get milk. She just didn't come back. Just so you guys know, I'd love to talk about childhood trauma later. Okay, um, <laughs> so anyway, I feel like we should Jonah that out later. But anyway, um, I feel like you guys are all just my best friends, and it's like let's talk, right? You guys want to hear it, but 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 also, I mean, kidding aside. You know, that does that does hit home for me because, I mean, you just for law enforcement to just say like, ah, they probably just boogied. Maybe they just simply left. It, did, did you, you know, and of course, the, the, the sources and stuff didn't talk about, you know, that part of it. it but it's a big deal, I think. It, it is. And, and when they say, well, sorry, there's no suspects. We've tried everything we could possibly try. Yeah, we're we're going to keep detectives working on the case. But right. Which I get it. And when tips aren't rolling in and you really have nothing to go on, I, I, I get it. I mean, from a law enforcement standard or uh, perspective, I totally get that. I'm not, I mean, you can't make shit appear. Well, like, there's that's only not, so many witnesses that you can ask right. neighbors. Yep. But I think just there's to not su- a lot of cameras and surveillance at this point. So, just to yep. suggest that the family just simply they left, they, you know, that that's the part that, that bugs me. But anyway. So just days after Chief Deputy Mo suggested the family went for went for this drive and, and didn't come back, on May 11th, just three miles from the Bernizer family's home, a fisherman minding his own business in a wooded area off a dirt road came upon a burned-out car. Oh. The shell of a car resembled a station wagon. And with a simple glass glance of what was left, it was clear an accelerant was used. This thing was like burned out. There was nothing left. It was charred. it was a shell of okay. a charred vehicle. Yeah. The discarded gas can nearby just solidified that suspicion. So typically accelerants, you know, in, in when they're when they're used, you know, it, it it burns really hot, right? It makes things burn really, really, really hot, hot, really, really fast. fast I mean, and, yeah. Much yeah. more more intense burn. Right. And it's easy right. for firefighters generally to detect that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, like I I don't doesn't take a detective to be like, hmm, that gas can over there, hmm, uh, right? I mean, I think even the most suspicious person of circumstantial circumstantial evidence would say that that checks out, that tracks. So I'm already kind of pissed over here that this was found three miles from their home. Three miles. Two well, weeks later. But remember, it could have been anywhere. And remember, then planted, I'm this just is saying. like a very secluded area. I guess it's they lived super in a very remote. secluded area. Uh, you know, it's a very remote in- area. In yeah. my mind, when somebody goes missing 
I, I just see this massive mobilization effort to find these missing people. I feel like there should be people everywhere walking through fields. There should be mm-hmm. aerial surveillance. It just, well, you know, and, and whether the movies or the media has done that to me, again, in my mind, I see this massive human mobilization to find missing people. And when you hear that their car was found three miles from home, clearly there was not a mobilized effort to find these poor missing people. And there could be any number of reasons for that from, from lack of people, from lack of, of police funds, whatever, but it still, it still blows my mind. Well, I think we've all, we've all heard the stories. We've all seen, we've, we may know someone who we don't feel uh, were looked for hard enough or, or whatever, you know, and I, and I, I get it. I mean, we could be, we could have a separate episode on just, on just that, you know, and so I'm not, not saying against saying anything against anyone here. What's, it was interesting though, that you bring that up is, um, in the, in the, uh, chief deputy Mo also said that he, uh, they weren't going to just, they weren't just going to go look at places just because, isn't that exactly what you're supposed to do when somebody's missing? Just go look around some? I mean, right. let something? me check the let me check the tip sheet. Nope. Sorry, not looking there. You know, it's it's The tip sheet didn't send us that way. <laughs> and and maybe I don't know. Cover maybe some ground. I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm being a little harsh on that, but that's just that was my take from that from that article and it just when he said that, it just kind of bugged the shit out of me because it's Chief like Deputy like, like Moe seems way too nonchalant for five people missing in his jurisdiction. Okay, that's fair. Maybe that's yeah. why he's maybe that's why he's chief deputy, not sheriff. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. I also I did not see if he was sheriff later, so don't don't come for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when, uh, but that's a that's an excellent. I mean, excellent point that you brought up. I mean, for sure. So when. Law enforcement began the painstaking process of scouring the insides of the station wagon, which was at that point suspected to be the one owned by the Bernizer family. They were obviously looking for their remains. And what they found were thousands upon thousands of bone fragments. Oh my goodness gracious. So in a case like this, and one without many answers, even one with answers, rumors circulate. And for this one, there was, of course, talk of satanic worship, sacrifice, even gang activity were suggested. And that, that former employer of, of Rick's said, I really don't think a, a gang of men would come for Rick. Like he would, I think he'd squash them. You know, so it was just, okay. a, it was just a, but Rick it, seems kind of like a badass. Like, uh, yeah, right? I From think what's so. Saying, like, like this dude is, yeah, is tough. Yep. You're walking around him. Yep. You don't want to F with him. He had the, he had Not, the 19, he had the 1990s dad mustache, you know, okay. that would like, yeah. I mean, I swear that like that mustache would kick my ass. Right. Like it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, we all know which one I'm talking about. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And 100% of the people in this room were able to picture that mustache. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> looks like a caterpillar, you know, like a, like a big one. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. In, in St. Croix, which is just not far, the police chief, this is one of the, one of the, the suspicions, the police chief thought he had a potential person of interest because are you ready for this? Like this is because some graffiti happened in town. Okay. So, so was, were they oh, dancing nearby too? I right. mean, with- yeah. So that graffiti led to even more devil worship suspicions. Oh, what do you know what the graffiti was? Or they did not. Okay. They did not say. However, what I mean, come, come on. Like last, the the episode that you'll hear in a couple of weeks that we did last night in in, uh, in uh, Sioux Falls, I, I was really hard on the seventies. 
I was really hard on the seventies. Like I, you'll, when you hear it, you'll know. And I feel like I want to be really hard on the nineties too, but it's my favorite decade. So I don't well, know what I can be, but uh, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding about that, but it's, it's, we were not far when we're, when, when we're, when we're we're saying that because of some graffiti done devil worship or, or that again, not knowing what the graffiti was, that, that this person that did the graffiti murdered five individuals or knows about it. Like it's a big, I mean, did he steal a pack of cigarettes too? Because burn that guy then. I mean, it's like really like, come on. It's just, it's just a, it feels really small town, and right, I, I right. love that. The, I think that's where that, first, that stereotype comes from. First series, like, like that. well, that's for sure either satanic worship or gang activity. It's not mm-hmm. like hey, there's no way there's any killers in the midst no, of our small no. town. It's got to be some, because that shit is easier to believe. Right? Devil like, worshippers or some gang members. Ain't no way one of my neighbors did this. That doesn't right. happen. Yeah, and doesn't and happen I've, in our town. And I have right, and I have heard gang activity is like just. I mean, they can't, they can't get ahead of it in Cushing, Wisconsin. <laughs> like, like, I, I mean, dang, it, you know, and, and it not, and I'm not making fun Them of the town. city I'm not folk being, coming down here from Minnesota. I know, I know. They probably came from the, from, from the Twin Cities. That's right. Or the Sin Cities. I'm just kidding. I was, I was working on my, my Midwestern accent. And if you've seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, you know what I'm talking about. So the, uh. The graffiti devil worshiper prime suspect right. moving on. And I, I, I think, I think even, even the sheriff's department, the Polk County Sheriff's department was like, okay, sit down. Right. Like <laughs> pump okay. the brakes, pal. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, investigators were in for the long haul, uh, an investigation of this uh, caliber, uh, of course, uh, you know, would not be for a, a forensic pathologist, regardless of the skill level, which would mean a forensic anthropologist would be required. Because again, when I say thousands of bone fragments, I mean thousands. So again, looking at this, uh, looking at the the file video um, or the police video, you could see the um, as they're panning in in the the station wagon or what was left of it. You you could see the fragments. I mean, it, there's varying like, sizes. So varying some sizes. really tiny, some yeah. were some larger like shards, yeah. shards almost. Yeah. Oh. So when I say, I mean, it was just like, like this broken was, glass It's like broken glass, but bone yeah, fragments. As harsh as that like, sounds. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, well, it was just, no, I mean, I'm not saying you're being harsh, it, but yeah, right? like, like it's, but it was, it, it was, it was almost like if they hadn't said in the video, if they hadn't said in the video that they were bone fragments, you wouldn't know. Oh, right. So it's it, it, because they were just, it was awful. They were discolored or were they still no, bone? They were, col- they were oh. still bone color. Okay. I mean, but it's, so I'm not quite sure how that scientifically works out, but you could, you could see it. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not going to claim to know or right. try to explain it, even though that would be something I would do. But, um, the anthropologist confirmed that the remains were human and not animal. And after a few grueling days of painstakingly attempting to identify the remains, they were able to narrow it down further but they still weren't able to fully identify them. They were able to show that the fragments belonged to two adults. They were able to. Yeah, they okay. yes. Two adults, two children and possibly a third child. That because they of I mean of varying sizes, uh, everything. I mean everything. And I think the what I what I don't want to be lost here is the the process 
right? Just how horrible in general it is, right? But but the process of 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 what a forensic anthropologist needs to do. I mean, if you've not to compare it to TV, but if you've seen the movie Bones or the the show Bones, right? Like that's you know trying to piece together what was a human being, and and I and then to do that with with five suspected individuals. I mean, I, I, it's it, horrific. It became somebody's job to systematically organize all these fragments, fragments right. according well, to who it might be, and not even who it might be, but what what form of which, human, which what, one what does state this one go of, to? Yes, was it you know, and you know the varying ages and really the the yeah. fact that in ninety one when our forensic technology was still somewhat limited, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're of course, not quite in DNA yet. And the idea of being able to identify through all those fragments that there were even possibly five people, two adults, two children, it seems three, it seems well, like an children, insurmountable yeah. task to take thousands of these bone fragments of varying sizes and say, yeah, that's an adult man, right. that's an adult woman. I think we got two children here, maybe a third child, but that might be one of the other people, I'm not really sure. Right. And that that was somebody's job to meticulously go through and do that is chilling. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I say that, you know, they it's it's beyond the level of a forensic pathologist. I mean, regardless of their skill level. I, I you know, it's that's that's when you bring in the um, you know, somebody in anthropology. That's the that's their job. So eventually the two adults were identified by dental records. Okay, so to, they found teeth in there too. Of course they did. Okay. Yeah. And to no surprise, it was Rick and Ruth. The anthropologist told law enforcement in their report that the remains of the two, possibly three children may never be identified. And it was discovered eventually that that they may not be able to identify them. However, they could possibly estimate ages using their teeth if, of course, they've matched them correctly. And they can using a forensic dentist actually as well. I didn't know that was a thing. How come they could not identify the children, but they could identify the parents? There's no dental records for these kids. Yeah, yet, well, we... you know, there was a five-year-old. There was okay, and, so just and no records, no to, records to trace that they it were back to. right, right. Yeah, that they that they that they knew had, of they had or, access okay. to or that they could have. Okay, wow, gosh. And for the the family that is now mourning the remaining members, you know, the the or the 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 five members that they are uh, suspected of, of being in there. They, they knew the three kids were in that car. There was no question. Yeah. They, they knew it. Again, I mean, I think when, when, the, when the parents are found, you know, and so there really wasn't a lot of uh, suspicion that the third child, the crystal, the five-year-old, was not in there. Well, and it, this would seem like a troubling crime scene because how can there be any evidence left at that point? You have the bodies, but is, it seems like a really difficult crime scene to process and look for clues for how this might have happened or who might have done this. Right. Yeah. They did, they did have, uh, they, they were able to identify or, or see, conclude that the, the remains had been deceased for two to three weeks. So they were able to see that. So my question is, and this is, this is not me questioning that by any means. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm scientifically curious, like how can you, how, how can, can you, how know can you that? tell that after, after that, uh, after a, a, 
fire of that magnitude. Just I want to be clear, because now they're saying they knew the bodies were dead for a few weeks. They were able to determine that just from bones. There was no body remnants. I'm right. to understand there was no, there were, there's no, no partial there was, there, remains. There was, yeah, there were no partial remains. They were not. Bones. Yeah, it was bones, bone fragments. Yes. I, yeah. Shit. Yeah. I feel like that's a, I, that's a valid response. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, but it also makes me wonder, like, I, okay, I'm, I'm scientifically curious. Like, how do yes. you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Holy. So again, I mean, the, the, the family, they, they knew there was no, there was no doubt. And somehow there would be enough evidence for an arrest if they only knew who could commit such a heinous crime. Do we, what was the evidence? Do you? I would love okay. to tell you, but I can't yet. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But that's fair. I, I mean, I, I get it. I'm sure you're all wondering what it is. And at this point uh, in my research, I was too. I was like, like, where, where is this? But anyway, so on May 18th, Bruce Bernizer, the 15 year old child of Rick was arrested for the murders of his dad, his dad's girlfriend, Ruth, Ruth's daughter's daughter, Heidi, who is 10 and his, uh, the other daughter, Mindy, who was seven and his half sister, Crystal, who was five. He was charged with five counts of intentional homicide. The investigative details, and this is where the evidence comes in, the investigative details and information were largely kept from the media and the public, which led to a lawsuit from a Minneapolis TV station. So at this point, the sheriff's department had not released any details that linked the 15-year-old to them, or to the, to the murders. The, the sheriff's department didn't release that information because they felt it would hinder the investigation. Okay. Which I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's I, I get it. hundred percent. Yeah. There's, I mean, I don't you even keep that secret. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a judge disagreed. And on May 29th, 1991, the judge ruled that the Polk County Sheriff's department would have three weeks to review investigation records and select documents that could be released. The station's lawyers said in the hearing that three weeks would be far too long. And at this point, I'm like, dude, you're getting the information. Can you, can you pipe down? I mean, like it's, it was like, don't punch a gift horse in the mouth. But while the three weeks would, uh, were just a suggestion by the court, the only other alternative was to go through document by document in quote, a, a litigation setting, which the judge said that is not very practical. I mean, duh, do you think so? Um, so they were finally, they were eventually like, okay, I mean, what are you going to do? Like really <laughs> like throw your sucker in the dirt? But I mean, I get it. I understand, you know, wanting to, wanting to have that information and, and you know, I see it from both sides. Um, and, and this is, this has happened in at least two cases that I've researched and I, I really do find each instance valid, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, or each and, side can and, be potentially valid. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think in both cases they, they can be, I mean, but it's, it's, I don't know when you're investigating something, it's, uh, it's not everybody's business and it's not everybody's business anyway. I, I mean, it's, you know, if, if there's a danger to the public and all that, but. I think once, once the process is complete, once then it is people's business because the sure. public does generally deserve to know these things. But I, I do believe in, in the moment while you're still building a case yeah. to, to release yeah. too many details, but still. Absolutely. It's going to hinder your case. And, yeah, and I get that, you know, you gotta, you gotta quell the public a little bit and calm them down and make sure that People want to know they're not in danger as right. well. Like yep, 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 yep. 100, 100%. 100%. 
So at this point, uh, you know, the case is, is moving forward. The investigation is continuing. The you know, all is well. What is what? What needs to be published is. Well, I don't know fine. if all is and, well, but okay, that yeah. was that was that like was strong. That was strong. We're a little far removed from well, but that's fair. <laughs> I will not. I will not lie. That was that was a filler sentence. Can you tell? <laughs> that was that was a filler, and I deeply apologize. All was still not well. However, things were moving along. How about that? <laughs> there we go. That's better. Uh, so prosecutors motioned at this point for Bernizer to be tried as an adult at fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and. Obviously, not surprising. I mean, it's not a, not surprising. Yeah, we've at all. seen it before. Yeah. And also, in an unsurprising move, the defense argued that that was too harsh, and they requested a new trial judge be assigned to the case, which was granted. Prosecutors would eventually get their way, but not until nearly a year after the arrest. In April 1992, the court ruled in their favor, in the prosecutor's favor, and Bernizer would be tried as an adult. So keep in mind, if he had remained in juvenile court and was found guilty, he would be released at the age of 25 Ooh, for, for those crimes. Oh, I don't know. So in uh, being tried- I don't think, I, don't think a, I could abide that. No, I mean, I feel like that's not right. Uh, that is definitely not well and good. For each of the five counts of first degree intentional homicide, when he, if he's tried as an adult, he faced a mandatory life sentence for each one, for each one. But slowly, more documents would be released, and this was prior to trial. Investigators uh, did release that they had found a diary of Bernizer's. In the notebook, he wrote about his anger he had toward his father and and that he hated the way they lived, which I can only presume was in reference to the modest way of life and perhaps the condition of the mobile home. But that's, they weren't releasing much. Say they were still, they were still just giving, you know, bits and pieces and, and because again, you're not going to show all your cards. I get that. So I just, I just want to look at both sides and hear both sides. But in the diary, he also wrote, quote, my dad pisses me off so damn much. I sometimes feel mad enough to kill all the damn expletive in this house, end quote. I don't know what expletive was, what expletive it was that was used. Hmm. Um, Cause I think it's no surprise. I would have said it um, easily, but, but yeah, that was it, it, absolutely no problem to kill them. My dad makes me so mad. I want to kill my entire family. Yes. Fuck. So what actually solidified the case against Bernizer? His stepbrother, who was also identified as his close friend. So at the time, of course, you know, the, the, the stepbrother, at the time of the investigation and trial, the friend was identified only as his initial or by his initials and only as his friend because he was also Still a juvenile. A juvenile. Yeah. Sure. So J.A. Was, was how he was identified and, and of course, not, not as his stepbrother at this point, which would eventually, that information would be, would be released. So Jesse is his actual first name, and he had all of the details. And forgive me if I missed this somewhere, but he, so he was not living in their house with them. The stepbrother, he was part of a different right. family? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's actually, that's probably good information. Um, because I know this was, this was a big mixed yes. family. So, here. so Jesse, so how we, he was the step, stepbrother was his mom, uh, Bernizer's mother, Alice was okay. married to Jesse's dad. Okay. Yeah. So they, then they'd become very close. The, the two, the two stepbrothers. So, this next part is, is gruesome, gruesome, very gruesome, and heartbreaking. When the two older girls returned from school, Bernizer tied them up and then shot them both in the head. When Rick and Ruth returned home, Bernizer was waiting for them inside. When Rick looked through an open window inside the mobile home, he noticed Bernizer with a 30 caliber rifle. Rick said, quote, according to Jesse, what are you doing with that gun, Bruce? Bernizer then shot him twice. 
Ruth, attempting to call police, was shot as she ran away. The youngest child, Crystal, was shot as she stepped out the back door. The next day, Bernizer called Jesse, his stepbrother, and said, quote, I did it. They're all dead. Bernizer then pleaded with him to help him destroy evidence. And when he arrived, the victims were laying outside on the ground. And according to Jesse, seeing the, the murdered family laying out before him, he vomited. Poor Jesse's probably lucky he didn't get killed, too. So the two boys, after, of course, Jesse agreed to help, loaded each of the victims into the station wagon. To cover the blood on the ground, they used a flashlight so that they could see it. When they did spot it, uh, in, in each, each spot, each blood spot, they scooped up the dirt and put it in the station wagon. That's why there was no evidence found at the mobile home. So he shot everyone outside. No one was shot inside, inside. the mobile home. Right. Okay. Yep. When they got to the secluded area where it was eventually found, they removed the license plates, soaked the vehicle in gasoline, and lit it on fire. They tossed the rifle into a nearby swampy area. So what happened was Jesse, pardon me, Bernizer, drove the vehicle, the, the station wagon, to the secluded area and his stepbrother Jesse followed him in the missing 1988 red Hyundai. And then they ditched it. About two weeks later, the two returned to the vehicle and removed some of the larger remains, such as the backbone, the neck, and the leg of Rick, and as well as a skull of one of the girls. They put them in a duffel bag, which they then buried at Jesse's home near a barn. Jesse Anderson was granted immunity in exchange for his testimony. The defense claimed the prosecution's case was, quote, implausible, forensically speaking, implausible, and attempted to also have Jesse Anderson's testimony thrown, thrown out. And the judge said, no, it's plausible. So what was the, what was the motive for Bernizer? The defense claimed Bernizer was emotionally and physically abused by his father. Part of that abuse was being raised in a home with, without basic human functions. Pause for a moment to just let that settle in. What he meant by that was no electricity, no running water, and no plumbing. Oh. And so those are basic human needs, apparently. And well, that is considered it's, abuse. It's not, it, it, that's, those are human needs. It's not something that... There are human needs, but I'm pretty sure people can, you know, it's not, I mean. It just, it it reminds me of a question we were asked one time about what is the most connective thing that you've seen between the murders you've researched. And my answer was poverty. Poverty. Poverty is one of the most connective things between all murders. And to to hear this is, it's so sad. It's so, it's so sad and tragic that this kid was like, I was you know, in his mind, I was li- he was living in hell, no electricity, no running water, no plumbing, probably hungry a lot of the time, it sounds like. There, I'm, I'm sure there was uh, absolutely probably uh, some In his some, twisted some mind, he probably felt he was doing his siblings a favor by freeing them from this hellscape. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you would say that. Oh, I mean, it, I have no idea what's coming next. So but it's just yeah. it, it, it's it's what they do. It's what these killers right. do so many right. times. And, and I'm not I, I am not 
saying that, you know, tough shit kid, no electricity, no, no running water, no plumbing. Like, and I mean, did the system fail this family? You I, know? I like think that's, to, yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, it's, was there ever social services things that you not, come across? Okay. Not that, not that came up in, in, in anything, nothing that was reported, you know, but again, it was the nineties. Yeah. Right. It was the nineties, very and rural we did, school. And, rural, and, and, and we did not talk about that stuff. We yeah. didn't, we didn't talk about that. So it, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. I, I don't know that, I think that's terrifying as a parent too. If, if you're struggling, you know, and, and that's assuming that they, you know, couldn't afford, or maybe it was, you know, it was poverty. Maybe they, you know, nothing's saying that they, they chose that, right. Chose not to have electricity, running water, and no plumbing. I, I think it's a bold move, even for the nineties to say that, that that was abuse. That's a, that's a, that's a, it's neglect for sure. It could be, I it could mean, be classified as neglect. I don't know if it's abuse, but I think a, a neglect case would be strong. When, I'm not going to split hairs over it, but I think you could, you could make that case. Right. I mean, but I feel like it's worth talking about those hairs because if a, if a, if a parent is, is attempting to, 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 you know, put food on the table and the food, leave the food out of it. But, you know, for, for those utilities, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a struggle to call that neglect if they're, if they're trying, if they're doing the things that they need to be doing, but you know, so you use a candle so that you, you maybe have a water pump or, you know, there's an outhouse or something. I I mean, I think you're still providing the basic functions and to, to consider that abuse, I, or neglect, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not. I mean, you, you, you make a point that all over this world, there are people living right now without without those those things things and they're not considered living in an abuseful or neglectful situation. So make a fair point. Uh, In a mostly civilized society, I guess I'd like to think that you could perhaps provide your kids with maybe one out of those three items. The running water, a little more problematic maybe than the electricity and no plumbing. Uh, But even the the electricity, you're talking in wintertime, no heat, things like that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, you're not going to warm up my candle. It gets tough. It gets tough. Yep. But I I, I think also it's, it's worth noting that what was reported, that was not confirmed. Sure. So that's what the defense claimed, but that was not confirmed. So it's also, it's also worth noting that. This occurred in April of 1991. The trial would not be held until 1993 because of multiple delays. It was, it was delayed many, many times. Sure. And uh, the last one that moved it from November of 1992 to 1993 was they needed to do more research. And I think, I mean, that would... In my opinion, from you know looking at these, that would also suggest that there would be a possible deal. And yes, so Bernizer admitted that he killed all five family members. In April of 1993, Bernizer pled guilty to the murder of Rick and Ruth. His defense claimed he was so traumatized from murdering the two adults that he was legally insane at the time of the murder of the girls. He killed the three girls because he felt that would be better for them since they were left without parents and so they wouldn't have to grow up in that same life. The decision would be left up to a bench trial, which means the judge would decide his fate. The judge would decide to allow the bargain, the plea bargain. However, there was a legal catch, and he would be found guilty of two counts of murder and was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences for both Rick and Ruth. In order to be found not guilty by reason of insanity, he needed to undergo a sanity hearing, of course. Prosecutor said, quote, there is room for compassion. 
depending on, of course, what, what came back. Yeah. The psychologists who evaluated him testified at the hearing. And what they were evaluating him for was specifically what his state of mind was the day that he shot his family. Okay. So it's not before, it's not after. It was specifically that, that day. Moment, that because day. they're claiming that it was, it was the trauma. Temporary it was PTSD and trauma. That specific trauma, not an ongoing insanity. Right, right. All right. Yep. So, and again, remember, I mean, he admitted to shooting all of them, yeah. right? So the, the, the yeah, point of this... I don't think he's contesting these. He blacked out and did it, right, but you right. just went Similar insane. Similar to kind of Neugebauer, uh, right? Similar, like, very yeah, similar to yeah, Neugebauer, yeah. yes. But just different, different claims, you know? And the point of this hearing, because again, he, he admitted that, but the point of this hearing was to decide whether he would be sentenced to prison for the murders of the three girls or be sent to a state hospital, right? So oh. it, it's... That's why they are evaluating his state of mind. And that's a big difference between... There's a big that difference a, there. Yeah. Going to a, a federal prison or a state hospital. Not a federal prison, just a regular Well, prison. he would eventually go federal when he turned juvenile. Yeah, if he's got a life sentence as a... Wouldn't he go federal for no, having to serve a life sentence? It's a state. Okay. Yep, it's a state. For the three little girls, he would be found not guilty by reason of insanity. He would be committed to institutional care at Mendoza, Mendota State Hospital for life, which he is still there to this day. In fact, in 2017, I believe it was, he, they had another hearing to see if he should still be, in fact, committed to Mendota State Hospital, and yes, he is still there. But if they were to determine he's no longer a suitable fit for the state hospital, he would then just go to jail. That wouldn't mean he was going out. Correct. Right? Yep. Okay, because yep, yep, yep. so, he still has the life sentences from Correct. killing the parents, but Correct. they said... We do believe you have uh, a mental state that is undermined and you need mm-hmm. this to be in a facility. Okay. Correct. Yep. The the, the part of this that, that really sticks out that I, I feel is uh, loose and was the abuse claimed, right? And and again, it was the 90s, so we didn't talk. We don't, you know, nothing gets reported. We don't talk about those things. We don't talk about what goes on in a, in a, in a family home then. And, and so... Was it just a was it was it just a, a grasping at straws thing? Were they just were they claiming that? Because uh, you know, I think when when people say abuse, you automatically I, I think it's human nature to assume it's sexual abuse, um, maybe physical abuse. And, and See, those I assume violence first. When I hear okay. abuse, I first think violence before I think sexual. Okay. I think being assaulted. Now, granted, sexual assault is part of that, but sure. when but I abuse. think if, you, if you're being abused, that's like your dad's backhanding you, he's okay. maybe using a belt, uh, you've been punched, you, you you know, things like that. Like that, that is the first that's, thing. That's that pops your go-to. Yes. That's interesting that you, that's interesting that, that we differ there. Not, I mean, we don't share a brain. That's not what I mean, but it's that the two, two different, you know, very different, uh, I guess, leaps, if you will. So yeah. was there a suggestion that the abuse was of a sexual nature? No, okay. know, it was it was emotional and physical. He did say physical, so mm-hmm. striking. Physical. Being, yeah, but emotional and and physical. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it could have been a old school, more stern, you know. Right, right. In, in, and, and I mean, if the trial, or if it, if the if it would have actually gone to trial, I, I wonder if that you know uh, you know I would hope more of that would have come out if that was the claim, that was the reason. Um, so it's, it's, it never had to because they didn't have to prove that, which could be part of why they wanted the, the plea bargain. I mean, who knows like the, or the, the deal. 
Yeah. So resources for today, the people history, ESPN.com, the leader telegram, Sheboygan Press, Kenosha News, Daily Register, and uh, a few of the court documents as well. So check out our merch store. You can find that at too many shirts.com slash Midwest dash murder. For those of you that are here tonight, you you've seen what we have. We also have more on the, on the site as well. Some other, uh, some other never before seen. Well, now they have been cause it's been out for a couple weeks, but before previously uh, unreleased. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, some other, uh, merch options. It's, it's pretty cool. And the biggest, the coolest part is it's local. It's not a, it's not a corporation. So it's pretty cool. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on whichever platform you find us on, Midwest Murder. And it's a, a very, very big thanks to everyone who has. Midwest Murder is hosted by this guy to my right, Joan Alanto, and myself, Don Palumbo, and produced by the Good Talk Network. This episode was written by myself. Gosh dang, do we appreciate you for listening and for your support. Thank you, Fargo. 